Broncos country. Let's ride with Touchdown Denver. Touchdown Denver. Hosted by Nick Ferguson and George Stoya. Touchdown Denver. All right, everybody. Welcome into another episode of Touchdown Denver. I believe this is episode seven, Nick. Is uh, it? That we're recording. Yeah, I, I, I see that up in the top corner. Uh, I hope producer Nick is right on that because I don't remember. I feel like we've been doing this <laughs> for uh, several years now, Nick. Uh, but uh, Nick, how are you doing today? You know what? I'm doing wonderful, man. And I, I have to say, man, um, I don't know if you shave every morning, but uh, you have somewhat of a very baby face look. And uh, dare, dare I say, uh, more like a Ben Affleck look. Has anyone that's, ever told you that? That's a compliment. Well, I well, will yeah. Wait, 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 do you think I'm just going to come on here and I'm going to insult you? No. Yes, that's exactly what I thought that was going to be. I, you, you, said you, you said you had something to bring up as soon as you saw me, and I was just like, what could this be? This isn't good. Uh, wait, wait, I'll, wait, I'll, I'll take wait, the nap like every day. So wait a minute. You, you just assume the worst about me. I'm, I'm the, probably the most optimistic person you're going to meet, but you can't assume uh, the worst, man. I, I gave you a compliment. Ben Affleck, man. Yeah, I know. That's great. I'm going to, I'm going to take that to my grave. I'm going to tell people all the time now that I look like Ben Affleck, but I don't, I don't shave every day. I actually like shave like maybe once a week. I just can't grow facial hair very well. So it's like, I uh, take a trimmer and just, you know, trim it. So this is, this is me. This is what I look like. I look like Ben Affleck apparently. Well, hey, hey, from now on, that's uh, when I'm referring to you. Hey, hey, Ben, what's going on? (laughs) I like that. Maybe I'll be in the next Batman. Um, Nick, did you watch any Monday Night Football last night? Yeah, the Giants uh, and Dallas Cowboys, of course. Uh, I guess uh, NFC Least, yeah, I watched it last night. Did you watch uh, any of the uh, Manning cast? Yeah, you know what? I, 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 I watched that, uh, George, and it was kind of interesting when you think about the Manning cast and the people that they have on, Tracy Morgan was on. Uh, and it was it was hilarious, but then there was something that was said uh, that ooh, I was like, "Ooh, wait a minute, let's, let's see what people are saying on uh, IG about this." And not too many Broncos uh, fans were happy about it. And what I'm talking about, if you're watching the Manning cast, they were talking with Pat McAfee, and they were talking about some of the things being a punter and him being a kicker, running down and hitting people. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, they they came up, they started talking about the Miami Dolphins situation, where the punter, you know, had his ball blocked by the derriere of his uh, personal protector. And then that kind of led into conversation about uh, the Denver Broncos, which Peyton Manning, the great Peyton Manning brought up, the baseball score, which was the San Francisco 49ers and the Broncos Sunday night football game, uh, to which uh, Eli Manning replied that maybe that they should have paid the punter, Colas Waitman, more money or the same amount of money that they paid Russell Wilson. And I was like, Ooh, wait a minute. That's kind of a low blow. I know you want to be uh, humorous and make people laugh, but I thought that was a low blow. Uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, look, um, I think you have to sit back and say, okay, it's supposed to be sort of a comedy show, right? I know it's football and it's the main cast and, and Peyton and Eli are there, you know, breaking down the game and, and things like that, but it is, comedy right like they're supposed to be joking around it's very clear i mean they had tracy morgan on last night i mean he's a comedian uh i I think that 
you have to take it with a grain of salt. I, I, but I do think it opens a larger conversation, Nick, that I do want to talk about, which is Russ has gotten a lot of hate since he's come to Denver. And I think at first it felt like it was just Seahawks fans, right? Like it was just really loud Seahawks fans that were hating on him. Uh, But since the season started, there's been a lot of people piling on. You see a lot of national media, uh, other local media, other, you know, covering other teams, um, kind of just bashing Russ. And, And you often see, you know, the memes about let Russ cook and it's like just horrible food, right? It's like, oh, Russ is cooking. Um, and look, some of it's probably warranted. He hasn't played great through three games, right? He's not looked like the old Russell Wilson. But let's not forget that this is a nine-time Pro Bowler, a Super Bowl champion. Uh, and and I also think that people need to realize, and I keep saying this on this podcast, but you know, people need to be patient. And I know that we keep saying that about Nathaniel Hackett. I think it's the same for Russell Wilson. Now, maybe it turns out that the contract was a really bad contract. I don't buy that yet. We're three games into his career in Denver. Uh, You know, I think if you look back at Peyton Manning's first three games in Denver, they weren't great either. So I I think, again, you you, you have to give the guy patience. And I I know people like to pile on once one person piles on. So I I, I didn't have a problem too much with Eli's comment because, again, I mean, Corliss Waitman deserves his flowers. He was fantastic the other night. Um, But, I I, you know, I do think it opens up a larger question of, you know, why is everybody just piling on Russell Wilson right now? Well, the way that I looked at it, kind of similar to uh, the way you looked at it, George, uh, but just slightly different because I know the show is kind of trying to make it uh, laughing for everyone because it is football, but based on the people you bring on, you're just kind of making it something like like a uh, one of like a I don't want to say sideshow. But uh, that, that's what it becomes at some point when you're starting to make those jokes. But I, I just looked at what Eli's comments as being something where it falls in line with how national media has now looked at this team. And now they're looking at them almost as a much larger joke than what they were under uh, Vic Fangio. And I was just like, wow, is that how outside media has now viewed this team? And, and we all thought, with Russell Wilson coming here, things were going to be different because, hey, plug and play quarterback position. We haven't had one in a while. And now things are just going to be able to, you know, hit the ground running. And, and, and we're going to be back to the John Elway days. But it doesn't really work that way, right? The, the Broncos offense has had their struggles throughout the season. Russell Wilson, like you said, doesn't really look like his uh, self of old. So so how, how is it that the Broncos – actually fix this because this was supposed to be the era where they're now trending upward instead of people looking at them as a team that's still trending downward even though they're two and one yeah and and i think you know the way to make russell i think get back on track is is you just got to let him play loose and i i don't know if if they're holding him back at all necessarily but it does feel like there's still a lot of hesitation and i don't know if that's from Russell or Nathaniel Hackett or just uh, the offense in general, right? I, I think that there's just some hesitation because they have never played together before. Uh, and, and and Hackett talked about that yesterday in his press conference about playing off script, letting him scramble, because Nick, we saw that on that drive, right? That touchdown drive, that was vintage Russell Wilson. And uh, if they can get that Russell Wilson, then obviously they're going to, I think, win a lot more football games. But Hackett talked about it yesterday about playing off script, uh, and we have the audio um, from Broncos.com. I think we'd have to define what off script is. 
I think what off script is, is when you have a progression and you don't do that progression. I think that when a play's called and you go through your progression and then it's all covered and then you start making it happen, that's part of the script. So I would say I think that uh, last night we saw him be part of the script and it just happened that he used his legs. So I thought he was spectacular and I would never hold him back from doing um, anything that he might see. I mean, he's out there, he's playing. I mean, he had a couple brilliant checks um, for big plays down the field that we've talked about and we've done. And that, again, that's part of it is that as we learn each other, as we learn the system, we know when the system and the play is called because we call it for something very specific. And if we don't get that, we want to get to something that's even better. I think that he saw a couple of those things and made some great plays and used his feet when things weren't there. Nick, I want to get your reactions to that because there there seems to be this narrative, and maybe it's just among um, some media members I, I heard talking about it yesterday, but that there's this there's this narrative that Hackett is holding Russell back uh, from his full self, that he he doesn't want um, Russell to run and go, you know, quote unquote off script. Listening to that clip, do you understand what Nathaniel Hackett is saying? And do you think that Hackett is, is maybe holding him back? Well, George, um, yeah, I do believe, but it's not for the reasons that most people think that uh, uh, offensive coordinator head coach will hold his quarterback back. And here's what I mean. What my, my definition of holding Russell back is not putting a lot of plays in the scheme and, and calling a lot of plays that we saw Russell be successful under the Seattle Seahawks offense, and that was Daryl Bevel. I mean, during that time, we know Seattle played great defense. They ran the ball. But it was Russell making those off-platform types of plays. They were getting him outside of the, the pocket because, let's be totally honest, Russell's not a pocket passer. No more than you looking at uh, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, or, or Tua. They're not pocket passers. Now, you, they're asked to throw from the pocket sometimes, but because of their height, you got to get those guys on the edge. And even if they were a 6'4", I mean, you still got to get those guys outside the pocket because now you put pressure on the perimeter of the defense where those defensive ends, outside linebackers, they have to now adjust to you and try to defend you because there's always that threat of getting outside the pocket and gaining those yards. So that's where I feel that Hackett may be holding him back from that standpoint not calling those plays by design to take advantage of Russell's ability. And he talked about Russell, you know, running and, you know, making those off script types of plays. I've said it before. Sometimes you have to overcome coaching. And that's the thing that's made Russell so successful uh, in this career. And once again, you go back to some of these dynamic quarterbacks we see now in the plays that they're making and they're making these off script types of plays and that is kind of the thing that is putting pressure from the national media standpoint on Russell Wilson. It is how Josh Allen is playing. It's how Lamar Jackson, he's playing, and Kyler Murray's making those off-schedule plays. And they're saying, okay, wait a minute. We're used to seeing Russ make these types of plays. He's not making those types of plays now. So he's not the same person. No, he has not changed, but is the decision, I guess, on Russ to decide, hey, they don't have what we wanted downfield as far as the routes I want to throw. Now I need to take advantage of the space that they created and run. So I guess it's a combination of those two things, George. Yeah. And it just, again, I think hesitation is the right word. Like that's what I sense when I watch him play at least through three games is that he just, maybe it's not a full understanding of the offense yet, or maybe it's not a full understanding of what Hackett wants on, on each play or, or whatever it is, but 
it's very clearly not the Russell Wilson that uh, they expected. And that's not to say he won't eventually get there. I still believe that he's going to get there. And the thing is, is as, you know, I guess badly as he's played, if, if, th if that's the word you want to use through three games, he's still the best quarterback the Broncos have had since Peyton Manning. And I don't know if it's relatively close. So uh, I, I think it'll be fine. I, I'm not too worried about it. Uh, Nick, I, I did want to jump in just quickly before we, we take a break um, about Corliss Waitman and the special teams unit. We've talked a lot about Russell and we'll, we'll talk more about him moving forward. But what did you just think of the special teams unit this week, I know we talked a lot about it last week, about needing to be improved, uh, and it seemed like it was. Kickoff coverage was great. Uh, Corliss Waitman was fantastic punting the ball. What did you just think of the uh, special teams group? I was uh, really impressed with that group. They have uh, slowly come along, uh, more so than they did in the first two games. Uh, before we talk about uh, Corliss and how well that he uh, punted the ball, I, one of the keys to why the special teams unit has changed, believe it or not, has been Alex Singleton because when Josie Jewell was out, Alex Singleton along with Jonas Griffin, those two guys had to play the middle linebacker position and they were on special teams. You know how difficult that is. I mean, you're a gas, you're a tire, and with Josie coming back, it affected not just the defense. We'll get into that later, but it affected how the special team unit actually played. And with Alex being able, Singleton being able to relax and just focus on special teams, man, he was all over the place. And I think he had like uh, maybe three tackles on punt team. So that was great. That that added to uh, the coverage for the punt team. But just call his weightman, man. He was great. I think he had 10 punts for more than uh, uh, five, I mean, almost 500 yards in, in punting. And he, I think he averaged like 47 uh, yards per punt. So he did a great job of backing uh, the San Francisco 49ers up and keeping them in that uh, minus territory so the defense can actually get after them. But they did a great job all around coverage. And I'm sure Coach Stooks is telling his team, hey, listen, this is what I expect from you guys. So now that you put it on tape, everyone around the league sees it. So I expect for you to continue to do this. Yeah, and I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think I said the stat the other day was, you know, seven of the 14 possessions that, the 49ers had started inside their own 15, three inside their own 10, two inside their own five. And obviously one of those resulted in a safety. So Corliss Waitman deserves a ton of credit. And like you said, Alex Singleton, he was really good on kickoff coverage. I think he had, I want to say it was the opening tackle on the opening kickoff uh, that pinned him inside their own 15, I think. So, um, you know, he was fantastic. Another guy that I think deserves a shout out, uh, Aaron Patrick, who yeah. I know a lot of people uh, were kind of questioning when he made the 53-man roster, why are they – taking a guy like this. I think you saw it on Sunday. He's a core special teams guy. Uh, he went out there and made some plays or, or made plays that opened up plays for other people. Uh, I think of a couple kickoff returns that he, you know, uh, ran his lane and that opened something up for somebody else to go in and make a tackle. So um, I thought he played well. So it, it was good to see, right? I, you know, they had the missed field goal. That's going to happen, um, you know, every once in a while with McManus and, and from 50 plus, it's always tough. But uh, other than that, I thought the special teams unit is the best it's been in a long time. So uh, hats off to them. Nick, let's take a quick break uh, and then let's dive into some more offense and, and how maybe they can fix this thing going forward. Let's ride with Touchdown Denver. Touchdown Denver. Hosted by Nick Ferguson and George Stoya. All right, Nick, we're back from that quick break. 
we, we talked a little bit about Russell Wilson uh, and the concerns we might have there. But I, I want to talk more just offense in general, because as much as it's on the quarterback and the play caller, uh, it's also on all the other, you know, all the 10 other guys out there on the field, right? And um, I, I feel like the offense, they, they show flashes at times. You know, Cortland Sutton looks really good. Uh, Javante Williams at times. But Nick, what's your biggest concern with this offense moving forward, especially since we, we just haven't seen them score points. We've seen them move the ball at times, uh, not much on, on this last this last Sunday, but uh, you know we, we just haven't seen them score a ton of points. I think it's been, what is it, 16, 16, and 11. That's just not not very good. Yeah, I mean, usually you, you're thinking that uh, you're supposed to go the opposite way, right? Like you score 16 points in two back-to-back games, and maybe that third game, you expect more points, but now the point total is going down, not up. And the, the reason I look at it, I mean, there's so many things that are going on with this offense, that Russell Wilson, that chemistry with Coach Hackett and uh, the developing that the play scheme that fits him. But more importantly, I just look at, you know, some of the play design a little because uh, when we look at the tight end involvement in game one to game three, it seems as though just like the scores, it's going down. I mean, Albert Okawebunam had two targets. Eric Salbert, who caught the, the long touchdown in the Texans game, guess what? He only had one target. And you go back to that Seattle Seahawks game to start off the season, the Titans were really involved in the scheme and helped them move the ball down the field. So I don't know and I don't understand why the tight ends haven't been utilized uh, as much, knowing as though most of the time, and, and, and if I don't care what offense or defense that you're facing, the middle of the field is going to be open right in front of the safeties, right behind the linebackers. And that is prime real estate to take advantage of it. But but the Broncos' offense really hasn't. And, and also, with the struggles of Russell Wilson trying to learn this offense and be efficient in it, to me, that's the easiest pass, George, you can throw. You're scrambling. There's an outlet pass. We see it every week. We see the tight end. He's blocking 1-1,000, 2000 and he just falls off into uh, the pattern. And you just caught, The quarterback just dumps him the ball. We're not really seeing that, but for this offense to be more efficient, to keep it in somewhat of a rhythm and just show that there is a, some, a level of creativity, they have to find a way to get those tight ends involved more. Yeah, and I actually asked about that uh, directly to Nathaniel Hockey yesterday. And, um, you know, we, we have the, the audio here and we'll, we'll play it in a second. But I think part of the issue is – I just don't know if they have the guys at that position, Nick. Um, and, and they clearly don't have, you know, a Travis Kelsey or George Kittle, Mark Andrews. I mean, those guys are obviously hard to come by. But I just don't know if, you know, Eric Sobert, Eric Tomlinson, uh, you know, Alberto, like those guys, Andrew Beck, like they just have never in their career been guys that have been down the field threats, really. Uh, and I just don't know if, like, this is going to like all of a sudden change this year. I think Alberto is a guy that we all thought could be that type of player. Uh, and he just hasn't been yet in his career, or at least we haven't seen it a whole lot. So they're hoping, I think that Greg Dulcich can be maybe that guy uh, and they get him back, I believe uh, in two weeks. So maybe he can, he can change that. But I did ask Nathaniel Hackett directly uh, yesterday about the tight ends and how they can get those guys more involved. And, and we have it here from Broncos.com. Uh, yeah, you know, I think all those guys bring different uh, attributes. You know, that's the cool thing about them. Every guy that goes in there can do some some things a little bit different, whether it's the pass game, blocking, pass protection, run game, all those things. And 
for us, it's just about trying to take what the defense is going to give us with those guys. There, there, there's sometimes there's great matchups. Sometimes there's not great matchups. So you want to be sure that you're capitalizing on whatever you can find that week within your pr preparation. Um, so we want to involve everybody. We don't want it just to be about the tight ends. We want it to be about the running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers and make them have to cover everybody. But you never know when they'll explode next. Nick, when will they explode next? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the tight ends will explode when plays are called for them. Now, you were just yeah. mentioning the fact that we don't have a Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey type of guy. I mean, in today's NFL, you really don't need that guy. I mean, the only, there's only so many elite tight ends in this league. Let's be totally honest. There's 32 teams, and not every team is going to have two elite tight ends. No, it's not going to happen. But what you can do is notify and say, listen, we know that we have certain abilities in our tight ends, and we just have to use that skill set. All of these tight ends, Hamilton, Abadoku, Weibunam, Eric Sub, even Beck, all these guys can run. Now, are they game breakers or game wreckers like a, a Darren Waller? No. And the Broncos going to face Waller this week. I mean, he hasn't been putting up massive numbers for the Las Vegas Raiders. So to me, it's about implementation and how you use your, your tight ends. And this is why I'll go back to Kyle Shanahan and how he's his thought process on using his tight ends. There's always someone's someone moving. There's always somewhat of a dink and dunk outlet. But when your quarterback is being pressured, that 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 works well for him. Now he knows, okay, here's my safety blanket, but that hasn't been the case so far over the past two weeks with the Denver Broncos when we saw it in the first game. So it's about putting those guys out there, making them immediate threats. And if you do that, now you can throw the check downs and dump uh, dump downs to uh, and those outlet passes to the running backs. But if you never threaten a defense, why should they ever think about defending it, George? Yeah, and I just don't. I don't know the answer, Nick. I, I just I thought the tight ends would be more involved. Uh, I thought Alberto would be better this year. Um, you know, through three games, Alberto's stats are six receptions for. Uh, let me do some math here. Forty-five yards. Um, that's just not going to cut it. Like I, I just I, I think I expected more from him, um, and, and I, I'm honestly worried about his future if like that's going to be the stat line. And, and again, I think some of it's on the players, right? Uh, some of it's on the, the play calling, like you said, they have to design some plays and call plays that are for the tight ends. Um, but I, I think that the, you know, great tight ends get open, right? Great tight ends make plays. They, they, they find the space. They, they make those plays. Don't right, Nick, or, or am I wrong? Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. See, see, you're using that word. See, you did it again. See, you said great tight ends, right? You, yeah. You've already established that, hey, this is not a great group of tight ends because they're, they're not the Travis Kelsey's and Darren Wallace of the world. So don't say great, because when you say great, you take your expectations up. And, and, and I just say tip your expectations just a little and understand what we do have. And you're absolutely right about uh, Abadoka Webuna. I mean, for, for him not to receive that many targets, when they sit in that room, they're looking and say, okay, well, what is it that our tight ends can and can't do? And with Abadoka Webuna, when he's had uh, opportunity to be targeted, he hasn't really come through for the offense. So now... Let's move away from Alberto. Let's focus more on Eric, Eric Salbert. I mean, he did catch a, a touchdown, right? Yeah. So there's some ability there. Find a way to get him involved. And really quickly, there's this route. It's called a scissors route, right? And basically, you take one receiver and one tight end, and you run them up the field. And they, they at some point, 
as they climb vertically, they switch. Now you're telling me our tight ends can't do that. And that's a simple, basic football one-on-one type route. So they don't have to be great, George. They just have to be guys who can just run the route and catch the freaking ball. Yeah, I just want them to be great, Nick. That's all I want. <laughs> Why you keep saying great? Why you keep... <laughs> Come on, George. Why you they need to be. Great? They need to be great, Nick. Uh, do you, Do you think Greg Dulcich can be great? Do you think he? I mean, I guess not great. Do you think he can maybe help fix the tight end issue? Do you think he's a guy that can come in and, and contribute once he's healthy? Absolutely, man. I mean that that dude was amazing at UCLA, and was one of the reasons why uh, the the Broncos targeted him. Because when I look at Robert Tunyon and what Robert Tunyon was. Uh, in the Packers uh, offense, that's how I feel as though they looked at Greg Dosage, but we haven't had a chance to see him because he's be, he's been injured, right? But once he finally gets out there, I expect for them to try to utilize his skill set because if they don't, then I'm going to have a huge problem with that because as a defender, I know how difficult it is to cover those move tight ends, those guys who can run and get find those soft spots in the creases and they can run the corner routes as well. So you have to utilize that. And Russell Wilson has never, outside of, I think, Jimmy Graham, his short stint with the Seattle Seahawks, he ne- he's never really had like that go-to tight end. Notice I didn't say great tight end, go-to tight end. So that's what we have. We have a bunch of go-to tight ends, not to discredit or throw shade at these guys, but they can become great tight ends, like you saying, if they are targeted more, but that's not happening. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know the answer, Nick. Um, I'm not an offensive genius as, as much as people want to think I am. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know the answer. But one thing they did try to fix the offense on Sunday, Nick, that, that was a new wrinkle was the up-tempo. And we saw it on the first possession, and they went three and out. Uh, it did not work. Uh, but then we saw it later in the game, and it did work. Uh, I believe they used some of it on that drive to go score the touchdown. Um, they used some tempo here and there. So – is that something that you think we'll continue to see going forward? Uh, and is that something that, you know, as a defensive guy, throws you off here and there, right? You have to line up quicker. You have to maybe read what the offense is doing, see the personnel quicker. Um, you know, what does that do maybe to a defense to create some issues? Well, first and foremost, yes, I believe that they need to go more of tempo, uh, especially when you're at home, the altitude. It, it, the defense hasn't really become acclimated to the altitude. So let's put them at a disadvantage. And you've seen those guys, you know, those big the big guys in the trenches tapping their head trying to get out. No, 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 no. Keep going up-tempo and don't allow them to change and bring a new wave of guys. And we saw last night when the Giants tried to do it to the Dallas Cowboys. And it throws defensive units off of rhythm because once you get tired, you, you can't really think, you can't really get up the field. And that affects that pass rush. And once that pass rush, those edge rushers, and there's so many elite guys in this league, then now you can take advantage of it from a passing standpoint because now the quarterback has all day. It makes it easier for the offensive line to now block a guy like a Max Crosby, right, who they're going to face this week. So that's why running that um, tempo, now it keeps you on rhythm, but it keeps the defense off balance. Yeah, and I think it also – it looked like it helped Russell at times, right, to just go – up to the line, uh, call the play, either check it or don't, uh, and go. And I thought that they moved the ball well at times when they did that. Of course, you're going to have you know situations where uh, you go three and out, and the defense is is you know going to have to be back up quickly. And I'm sure the defensive guys uh, don't appreciate that when it's like a you know a 30 second possession there for the for the offense, and they have to go immediately back out. But 
I do think there is something there that the, the Broncos can work with to maybe get that offense going a little bit quicker. But don't you agree that, you know, Russell even looked maybe a bit more comfortable and up-tempo at times? I mean, especially on that drive to go score the touchdown. I, I, I want to say I don't think they used it the entire drive, but they did use it at times there. Uh, and it looked like Russell was maybe more comfortable in that situation. Yeah, George, because here's what it does. It, it forces everyone to make uh, quicker decisions. Russell has to make quicker decisions. Am I going to throw it? Am I going to run it? But also it puts a sense of urgency on everyone on the offensive line because they know we got to get our blocks because we're going immediately to, to the next play. And for the wide receivers, now they know, hey, I got to get in and out of my breaks. I got to recognize what the coverage is down the field. And then I have to hustle back to line up to run the next play. And here's also what he does, too, from the play calling standpoint. I mean, usually we've been seeing a lot of deep development routes that has put a lot of pressure on the offensive line. To me, now you can't run those deep development routes. You know why, George? You, do you want to run down the field 30 yards and then have to run back another 30 yards? That's 60 yards. And I don't care how conditioned you are, you're going to get gassed at some point. So that puts a sense of urgency on everyone, more importantly, the play calling to get the – get the guys in and out of the huddle, and now Russell can make decisions. So I love the idea of it. I think this offense may flourish more if they did more of it. But now you have to practice that to make sure guys are conditioned both physically and mentally to handle that workload. Yeah, and I think it, like just thinking about it out loud here is it, it probably makes Nathaniel Hackett's job a little bit easier too, right? Because he can – if you're going up tempo, you're thinking a play or two or three plays ahead – uh, because you're trying to go quickly, right? And I think that we've seen through, you know, the first two games really that he struggled getting the play call in sometimes. And I think he was thinking too much. Whereas you just mentioned it with the quarterback and, and everybody else, you have to make quicker decisions. I think that's the same for Nathaniel Hackett, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I think that he has to be quicker on his feet when he comes to when it comes to play calling when you're doing the up tempo. So I do think that we're going to see more of it. Uh, it. I know again they had some quick three and outs when they did it. Uh, but they also were able to move the ball at times when they did it. So I, I think it's something that we could see a lot more of uh, moving forward, and, and maybe it helps fix this offense. But, uh, Nick, let's take a quick break here, and then we will dive into uh, the one side of the ball that the Broncos have been excellent at, and that's the defensive side of the ball. Let's ride with Touchdown Denver. Touchdown Denver. Hosted by Nick Ferguson and George Stoya. All right, guys, we're back from that quick break. And we're going to switch to the other side of the ball here and talk a little defensive football uh, with the expert here, Nick Ferguson. And Nick, I, we, we, we mentioned him at like the end of the show uh, the other day, and that's Pat Sertan. It's, it's crazy. We should be leading with Pat Sertan every single week. I mean, that guy is, is unbelievable. Uh, what's just been your impressions of Pat through three games? I, I he, you know, he's coming off the, I think it was six targets, um, you know, no catches. I think they only targeted him once in the second half, which is just a compliment basically saying, we're just not going to throw his way. Uh, wh what did you think uh, of him on Sunday? And what have you just thought of him through three games? Well, as far as his work on Sunday, I, I thought it was great. And first I'll start with this. Uh, the fact that he left the Texans game with an injury and he was listed day-to-day -day earlier in the week, just the fact that he was able to get out there and play in that game, you know, my, I tip my cap to him. And then just, just looking at the way that he performed. I mean, Brandon Ayuk is, is a very talented uh, wide receiver, 
And just like you said, I mean, that second half, I think he was targeted one time. And that's when you know you're getting that level of respect that guys like Rod Woodson, Deion Sanders, and Champ Bailey receive because when they're on the field, it's like the quarterback decides that, hey, I'm not even throwing to that side of the field. And now as a defensive coordinator, you can use more guys and bring them down in the box. You can use your safeties more because you know that you don't have to really help that corner as much as you may have need to help another corner. And, and, and for me, I think also what contributes to uh, what PSU is doing, to me, it is kind of a reflection of, you know, Ronald Darby. Darby, you know, himself has received a lot of criticism, uh, especially come when he came over from Washington. And even last year, now he has also stepped up his play, but this is all kind of a after effect of having a guy like PS2 on your squad because you know that they're not going to throw over there. So they're going to throw at you a lot. So you have no choice but to get better. You remember, you know, Neil O'Donnell in that Super Bowl against the Dallas Cowboys and Larry Brown became like the darling in the NFL. I think he had two interceptions in that game. That's because they were not going to throw at Deion Sanders. That is kind of what's happening with this Denver Broncos uh, defense. And I'll say this, it may sound a little biased, but I mean, when you look at PSU, he is rounding into a form of being considered one of the better corners in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, I, I would argue he's in the top five, in my opinion. Um, and I don't know who those other five are, but he's got to be up there in terms of if you were to, you know, have a draft of all the cornerbacks tomorrow, I would assume Pat Sertan would be in the top three or five taken uh, in the entire league. And obviously that's because he's, he's young and he's only going to get better, but he's only in year two. And he looks like he's been playing for eight years out there. And his, 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 his body is built in a way that it's just like an ideal corner. Right. And he's so big and he's able to, to reach and, and make plays. Um, and Nathaniel Hackett talked about Sertan yesterday as well. And just what he brings to this defense. And we have the audio here from Broncos.com. I probably wouldn't throw his way either. Um, he's a, uh, you know, first and foremost, I mean, as a person, I mean, this guy's special. And I think that's what makes him such a, a great player up to this point. And, um, you know, he's just going to continually get better. But just his natural athletic ability, his ability um, to not panic is huge. And, I mean, when you take this amazing athlete and then you take this guy that's so humble and a guy that wants to be coached and wants to be great, I think that's when you see him continually grow and get better. Nick, you played with some some great corners in your career. What what's it like playing with a guy like Pat who you you talked about it a little bit earlier where you know, you know, he's going to be shut down on that side, but also just playing with a guy uh, you know, he he's not a big trash talker. I think a lot of times you see corners are guys that like to talk a lot of trash, and Pat's kind of a quiet guy it seems like. At least when we talk to him as media, he's he's a pretty quiet guy, but what, what's it like playing with a guy like Pat? I mean, it's great, and I've been around uh, guys in my career that uh, kind of fit that same mold, or Pat fits the, the mold. Early on in my career, when I was with the New York Jets, uh, it was Aaron Glenn, who's now the defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, and then I also played with Champ Bailey here. And the thing that made those guys so unique is not just the, the, the skill set, the will to compete, but you know they were not trash talkers. They allowed their play to speak volumes uh, for them. And to me, it, it just, we, we live in a day where everyone, it's a me guy. They want their 15 minutes of fame. I mean, I mean, Deion Sanders did it back in the day. Now, Jalen Ramsey is now doing it again, being a Florida state guy. But the difference is that sometimes 
uh, Jalen speaks more than putting his time on his game. And this is where PS2 is, is, is a lot different. Uh, these Both of these guys are long. They have long arms. They're very athletic. They're very talented in their own right. But PS2, he's not going to sit out there and talk. And where I come from in Miami, you may have heard this too, it's a saying, don't talk about it, be about it. And you don't have to really toot your own horn if you are that great. You just let your play kind of stand for you. And that's what he's doing, you know, right now. He's going out there Sunday night football. He's making plays in prime time. And, you know, we'll get into it later on in the week, but that's going to be another prime time matchup, Devontae Adams against the youth and talented skill set of PS2. And I'm eager to see how he, you know, steps up to that challenge. But for the most part, He's rounding into form once again, and if he stays healthy, he would definitely be maybe the top corner that we're talking about in years uh, down the line. Yeah, I mean, I think that his athletic ability is going to make him one of the best for a while. Obviously, he needs to stay healthy, and and, uh, the shoulder injury was a scary one just because it was like, you know, how do you how do you replace a guy like Pat Sertan? You don't. It's it's really difficult. Uh, but I think one area that I've really seen Pat grow the most is, and I know a lot of people don't probably care about this, but uh, he's been really good with the media. And I think that shows a lot of maturity and growth. Um, you know, when he came in as a rookie, not to say he was bad with the media, right? He was just really short, uh, wasn't a guy that was super talkative. You know, we spoke to him yesterday uh, and he talked for 10, 15 minutes. And I think that kind of speaks to just his ability to uh, mature and grow as a, as a person too. And it, you can tell when talking to him, how just smart he is, right? Like he just understands the game of football. And obviously he gets a lot of that from his dad and the way he grew up uh, and obviously being around the game. But I have seen him grow up a ton uh, this last year. And, and I think that you can see it on the field too. So um, it's really cool to see him become the player he is because like you said, Nick, he's going to be a staple for this Broncos franchise for a long time. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he will be. So I'm interested to see how he continues to grow and his growth is going to really reflect how well this defense uh, is actually doing itself. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I wanted to dive into is, is obviously Pat's just one of 11 guys uh, on this defense and, and really, you know, 18, 19 guys that, that end up playing, um, you know, rotating in. But Nick, I wanted to read you some stats about this Broncos defense. Um they, they right now are, are arguably one of the best, if not the best, defense in the league statistically. Uh, points per game, they're second, only giving up 12 points per game. Yards per game, third, 251.3. Passing yards per game, third, 170. And rushing yards per game, sixth, 81.3. How good do you think this defense can be? Obviously, they got to stay healthy. Uh, they're doing this without Justin Simmons, which is, is pretty remarkable. Um, but just how how good do you think this group can be? Well, they, they can be as good as uh, they, they want to be, and health is a, a key role to that. And we saw that from game, the first two games to this game with Joseph Jewell making his uh, return. And I have to definitely give him a shout-out. Nine tackles, one sack, uh, two TFLs, hacking for losses, and two quarterback hits. I mean, that's a great game for a guy who was nursing a calf injury. But, yeah, they can stay together. And uh, Bradley Chubb said it himself after the game. He, he, he issued an apology to his mother before he said it, but he was like, uh, and I'll give you the PC version. This defense is stinking good, right? And he's absolutely right. And I'm, I'm happy for a lot of these guys who I, I guess, you know, a lot of fans and those uh, in the media, not you and I, have said negative things about him, Bradley Chubb being one of those guys. 
And being able to see them go out, have fun, and, and keep that smile on their face, I mean, that, that that's something that you want as a defensive unit. And the fact that Justin Simmons isn't playing, and he probably won't be back for another two weeks, that, that's exceptional because you have to think, okay, well, Caden Stearns is held down the fort. What happens when Justin Simmons comes back? Now you can, you know, throw in like 60 Bs, 70 Bs. I don't know what Azure Evero is going to do, but the confidence is starting to swell with this team. And I can tell you this, being a guy that coached on the defensive side of the ball and played when the group, not an individual, but when the group's confidence starts to swell like this, it, it, it bodes well for the group. And they go out there every single game saying that, you know what, we know we're the best. We don't have to think about it. We don't need you to validate us. We already know we're a great defense, and we're going to show you. Yeah, and I think the difference for this group this year, because I think that they've had a really good defense the last couple years, right? I mean, Vic Fangio was a great defense corner. Say whatever you want about him as a head coach. The guy knows defense, right? Um, And I think that the difference, though, this year is – that pass rush and, and those guys up front are better than they've, they've been in, in previous years. And I think that's obviously, you know, going out and getting a DJ Jones. I think the rookies played really well. Matt Henningsen has come in and been a contributor. Uh, you know, Bradley Chubb is finally healthy, right? And and like you said, we all know Bradley's great. Like he's one of the best pass rushers in the league when he is healthy and he's 100%. And we're seeing that through three games. You go out and you get Randy Gregory, who I, I want to say – I thought it was a good signing when they did it. It looks even better now. And I think there was a lot of people that were hesitant about Randy. And and maybe that's because of some of the off the field history that he had previously. Uh, But the guy is loved in the locker room. Uh, I love talking to him. I think he's a leader on this football team, a veteran guy that has a, a good presence and a good voice in that locker room. And then he's a freak on the field. I mean, that guy is massive, Nick. I've never seen a defensive end, a pass rusher that big, at least, not that I've covered. And so you've got those two guys on the end. You've got Baron Browning, who, again, another thing that a lot of people were critical about was moving him outside. And it looks like it was a really smart move. One, because he's playing really well there. They have that cool NASCAR package, right, where they have all those three guys out there. But also it showed you that was the faith that they had in Josie Jewell and Jonas Griffith, who I think are both playing at an elite level right now. And again, when you look at this defense, it starts up front, right? I think they've had a good secondary the last couple of years. When you talk about Justin Simmons, Green Jackson, Pat Sertan, you know, Ronald Darby, they, they've had good guys back there. Uh, but now that you have the pass rush to go with it, the inside linebackers that I think have played really well and put, played a lot of football now with Josie, uh, I just think that from, from top to bottom, uh, this is a unit that if they stay healthy, which again is a big F, right? DJ Jones in the, in the concussion protocol this week, who's, been a huge contributor but if they can continue to stay healthy throughout the season this is a group that i think is going to finish top five in a lot of spots yeah it's funny that you mentioned you know randy gregory he reminds me of simeon rice who played with me for a short period of time with the denver broncos but i remember simeon most people remember him from his days with the Tampa bay buccaneers and remember how that defense galvanized they would fly around they would hit people and that's what this defense kind of reminds me of and just looking at that pure length of Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb kind of got into it too as well. For those teams who want to throw those little slip and tunnel screens to uh, wide receivers, those guys are athletic enough where they can rush the passer and jump up in the air to deflect those passes. And we saw Randy Gregory do it against the Washington football team when he was a member of the Dallas Cowboys when he batted the ball to himself 
And that's kind of one of the things that we look for and that athleticism you want in those edge rushers. So if these guys stay healthy, they continue to build and stack, you know, game after game, then at the end of the season, man, we would definitely talk about this unit it being one of the top five, if not the top group in the NFL. Yeah. And, and the other thing I like, Nick, and I want to get your quick thoughts on it before we sign off here, the, the dark side, the mentality. Uh, I think that that that's great. I think that that mentality of, of being the villain, right. Uh, and, and being a group that can dominate. I, I really like that. Maybe that's because I'm a, a superhero type guy, uh, <laughs> but I, I really like the mentality. Don't you? Yeah, I do. And remember this, when, you know, both of us being comic book guys, no, there, there's no hero without a villain, right? Yeah. And, and you definitely need that. If So in, in this case with the Broncos, the defense, they're the dark side. So they embrace that dark side and they are the heroes. So they're both good and evil at the same time. And that evil that they embrace, I, I love it because that means that they're going out there being efficient and striking fear and opposing offensive units every Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just think that they're going to continually get better. Um, but the villain this week, Nick, are the Raiders. Uh, and we will break down the Raiders uh, later this week. Um, so thanks to everybody tuning into another episode of Touchdown Denver. I'm Ben Affleck, uh, joined by my good friend, <laughs> Nick Ferguson. We both appreciate you, Ben and Nick, uh, for, for tuning into this week's episode. Make sure you guys like, subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you guys again in a couple days.